0: And so some people ask me, several people ask me this week, like, oh, it's, it's Easter, you're going to preach uh, something special, you're going to bring something good, something, you know, from the body, from my work, from my, my friends, my neighbors that know I'm a pastor. Like, oh, what, you got something big planned for Easter. And part of me wants to go, no,
1: it's just another
0: Sunday, I'm going to preach where I left off in Colossians, I'll continue in Colossians. And then I think through that, and I'm like, well, that's not necessarily right. I don't want to make less of Easter. I don't want to make less of this resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I do want us to make more of Jesus every time we come together, every time we gather. Each week, each day, as we live together as a body, as we would proclaim and we would demonstrate Jesus Christ. So I want that to be our perspective this morning. That this is a special day, but that we wouldn't be, Jesus is no more special today than he was last week, or he is tomorrow. And for us to keep that in mind, that we would live each day and each week as if it's resurrection day, because that's what it is. And so let's just have that in mind as we go through today, that we need grace. We need the cross. And that every day is resurrection day. All right, so no special message, right? Just... Continuing on in Colossians, where we were last week, we had gotten, we had started Colossians, and we know that Colossians is this letter that Paul wrote to a church in Colossae, to this church that he had not been to. He did not know them intimately, but yet Epaphras had planted this church, and Paul Paul had heard from Epaphras and sent Epaphras back to this church after he had heard these concerns that they were... Adding to Jesus. So they were turning a little bit from Jesus, right? That they were not trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. And as Paul starts the letter, he has a greeting and then he acknowledges them. He acknowledges that they are in, that they are a part of, that they've responded to this gospel. And after responding to that gospel, he thanks God for all the things that the gospel has done in them and continues to do in them. But then he gets to where I said, verse 13 what i really feel like is the main point he starts his argument in verse 13 after giving thanks for them after praying for them then he says this god this this god has delivered us from a domain of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son he's like that's who you were and now this is who you are that god has transferred you he's delivered you he's literally picked you up and now he's placed you in this kingdom of his son and in this kingdom jesus is supreme Right? And last week we talked about all the ways that Jesus is supreme. We talked about the list. Remember the list that I gave, that we read through. Remember how that list about Jesus, nothing else compares to it. Not even what's most important to you, who is most important to you. That list does not compare to Jesus. Jesus is supreme, and he is the king. And being the king, because this is his kingdom, he deserves our complete admiration, our complete loyalty. He deserves our complete service. And our submission. Right? If, if Jesus is king, then we should bow down to Jesus. We should pro- proclaim him as king in everything. Everything, everything, everything. So last week I said my main idea, the big point was because Jesus is supreme in everything. All things start in him, all things continue in him, and then all things are restored through him. He's the creator of everything. He's the creator of the entire cosmos. He's the creator of things not seen, of things seen. Everything that is, everything that's become is because Jesus created it. He is before, He is outside, He is preeminent in that creation. And then we saw that He holds all those things together because He created it, because He has that power. He also has the power to hold things together, that everything continues in Jesus. It only continues by Jesus. If Jesus removed it starts to fall apart. If we remove from Him, we start to fall apart. Everything continues in this power of this Creator God
1: who Paul says
0: in this passage is Jesus. And then we went to verse 19 and 20. It says, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his
1: cross,
0: all things, all things, everything is reconciled by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Our relationship with Him, our relationship with each other, our relationship with the creation, our relationship even internally with ourselves—everything, everything, everything—all everything, parts of creation are going to be reconciled through the cross. Through Jesus Christ. There's nothing that's exempt from that. There's nothing that's outside of that. But then what about verse 18? I just read 15 through 17. I just went to 19 through 20. I went through it last week. I sort of skimmed by it because I wanted to come back to it this week. So before verse 18, we see that all things start in him and all things continue in him. Then verse 18, and then after that, we see that all things are restored through him. But what about verse 18? I want you guys to listen to this verse and think through this. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. As I'm studying this, as I'm working through this, I'm like, why is verse 18 there? We were talking about Jesus in 15 and 17 how He's the God of creation. Then we talk about He's the God of restoration, right? But then right in the middle of that is verse 18 and it says, and He's the head of the body, His church. And then He begins to explain that. And why is that dropped in the middle? Why is that description about this king interrupted, what looks like interrupted, by this description of the church and His relationship to the church? How is the church connected to all this? Remember that Paul was writing to this church in Colossae. These believers, these individuals, this group, this gathering of people that have responded to the gospel. They had heard the gospel. When he's writing to them, they were the us. They were the us that had been transferred from this kingdom of darkness into this kingdom of the beloved son. This church is gathering believers. They were the we that had been redeemed, that had been forgiven their sins, as he talks about in verse 14. And Paul was writing them to say, I don't want you to turn from Jesus. I don't want you to add to Jesus. And he wanted them to understand they now are a part of this kingdom. They now are a part of and under and participating in this kingdom of Jesus. He didn't want them to forget that. He didn't want them to miss that. That as Jesus is king and as Jesus is ruling and as Jesus is restoring, the church is a part of that and the church is right in the middle of that and so you see in verse 18 it says he's the head of the body it literally means that Jesus is supreme over the body as Jesus was supreme in the creation Jesus is supreme in the church because he's supreme just like he was in creation he requires our complete admiration
1: our complete loyalty and our complete service. I
0: told you that last week. It was the exact same thing. It was the exact same statement. Because He's the God of creation, because He created everything, He deserves all that. He deserves us to reference Him in every way, in every situation. But then it says, now you, now you, now us, if you have been redeemed, if you've been reconciled with Jesus, now we have an additional responsibility to reference Him as His church because He's the head of the church. He's supreme over the church, just like He's over creation. And so we've been brought into that church. We're His people. We have this additional, that's almost bigger responsibility to respond to Him, to reference Him in every way, in every situation because He's the head of the church and we're part of the church. He's brought us in. We're not just part of the creation, we're part of the church. It gets even more specific. So I want us to see that and I want us to focus on that. I want us to consider that as we start, we're going to go back to verse 18 and start from verse 18 and go through verse 23. Because I, was, I want to connect and because I believe it connects verse 18 as we go forward. So this week is much the same as last week. But we're going to repeat it In some ways, because Paul repeats it. Because it's something we need to consider again. It's something we need to understand as we're a part of the church. So the big idea, the main point, is that Jesus is supreme in the church. And we're going to see the same points that Paul made about, because of all under all of creation and restoration, it's the same in the church. Because He's supreme in the church, the church begins from Him. Because He's supreme in the church, the church is restored through him. And because he's supreme in the church, the church continues in him. Okay? We talked about all those things last week in a big general sense, but this week we're going to talk about them in a specific sense as the church. And just as the church in Colossae needed to hear this, we, Living Stones, we need to hear this. I, Brit, I needed to say this. I needed to hear this. I need to consider this. This is not something we stop, not something we think about. And we need to consider, what does this mean for us as the church? What does this mean for us
1: as believers,
0: as followers, of those who have been reconciled with Jesus?
1: What does it mean for
0: Him to be supreme amongst us? We can't add either. They did. couldn't add. We can't add. And we desperately need to understand our King
1: and this kingdom.
0: So let me read now, with all that background, I'm going to read verse 18 through 23, I'll read it first in English, and then in Spanish, but I want you guys to hear that as we start with verse 18, through this perspective of the church, and you're going to see how the church is connected throughout all of this. Verse 18, it says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation, under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So because Jesus is supreme in the church, the church begins from Him. Look at verse 18, after it says that He's the head, after it says that He's supreme in the body, it says He is the beginning. It literally means that the church comes from Him. He is the origin of the church. That word means anything which begins to be what it came from. He's the beginning of the church. He started the church. He actually is the creator of the church. Jesus made the church. Jesus came up with the church. The church is not a man-made institution. It is a Christ-created organism. I didn't make this up. Men didn't make this up. Jesus Christ made up the church. Okay? It came from Him. And if it came from Him, then we have to live under Him as if He is, it says, the firstborn. It says He's the firstborn from the dead. That firstborn is just a term. It's a term of of rank, a term of privilege, a term of position. That He has the ability to rule sovereignly over His church, over this body. He's the firstborn over the church. He has all rights to do what He wishes, to do what He pleases. He is in rule over His church. He created it. And it's the same... As I said, that we saw in creation in verse 15, he's the firstborn of creation. He has the right to sovereignly rule over it. But he also has the right to sovereignly rule over this church that he created. And so, as I said before, we as a church, we have a specific responsibility to live in reference to him. And yes, I'm talking about living in reference to him again. Again, we need to think through what does it look like to live in reference to him? And I've been going through this this week in my mind. I'm like, why? so I've got to talk about being referencing Him again? Yeah, you need to talk about me. You need to talk about referencing me again. And I try to analyze my, my days, my, my, my week, and like, what is it that I come back to repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly? What is it that I reference other than Christ? And unfortunately, it's my phone. My phone sleeps beside me. All right. My phone wakes me up in the morning. I, I reference my phone. I know what time it is. I reference my phone. I know what happened at work at night while I'm asleep because I work at a hospital and there's things going on 24 hours a day. I know who's texted me after I fell asleep and now I need to respond to. I know how much time I have before I get ready, before I've got to leave, before I take my kids to school. I get them in. I plug it into my
1: radio and my car.
0: tells me where to go as I'm thinking I read my Bible on the phone a lot of times in the car what I'll do is I'll be going through this passage in my in my head and I'll be going through it and as I think of something as I make God gives me this connection then I'll take a note on my phone and put it in my memos and then I get to work and I plug my phone into my computer And then I know what's going on. I've got my computer in front of it, my phone, you know, because I need to know if my wife is looking for me, if she wants anything, if she needs anything, because I'm an amazing husband that always serves my wife. And I never ignore texts that come from her. That's never been an issue in our marriage. My phone beeps when it tells me about my next meeting. It tells me where to go. It tells me what to do. I live in constant reference to my phone. And the only way that I cannot reference my phone is to put it away and disconnect I mean I take it with me I put it in my pocket I make sure you know if I'm going to be in the bathroom a while I make sure it's with me
1: <laughs> and I
0: heard Emmanuel was talking about his mom wanted to buy him a phone This, he's like no I want to be able to disconnect but I have to disconnect from my phone in order not to reference it. It's there. It's always a part. It's always what's going on. I know what's going on. I know what's happening because of my phone. I reference it all day long. And the only way I don't reference it is that I disconnect. And then I think about how do I not reference Jesus Christ? How do I not reference Him in the same way? And then I think, I have disconnected from Him. When I'm not referencing him, it's because I've disconnected. I've let the battery die. I don't have the power cord. I've put it away. I've put Jesus in the, in the corner. I've left him in my bag. I've left him in the car. I don't, I don't have him. I can't reference him. And I'm completely disconnected. But I think about my phone. I know where my phone is. I know where my phone is. I plan for my phone. And if I get to work without my power cord, I need to go buy a power cord. Because my phone dies, I'm going to be disconnected but how long do we go disconnected from Jesus Christ how long do we go each day each week not referencing him and it doesn't even phase us it doesn't even bother us it's the end of the day and like oh oh I didn't reference him at all I wasn't connected to him I didn't reference him in every way in every situation and he is saying, if you are a part of my church that I've created, if I've reconciled you and I've made this relationship right, I want you, you have, to, you have to reference me in every way, in every situation. We are responsible to that. He has brought us in. It's the least that we can do is to reference him in every way. We need to stay connected to Christ. So he's the beginning, the firstborn, and it says from the dead. Just as he was the firstborn of creation, now he's the firstborn of this restoration from the dead, from those that have been restored. It's literally that God came, Jesus came, fully God in this fully human capacity. He was completely human, and completely God, and He went and He died this physical death on the cross. Okay? He was fully God, He was fully human, He died this death on the cross after living this sinless life, this perfect life of obedience and reference to God that we cannot achieve, that we cannot do. And He died the death that we deserve. He went to the cross and He died that physical death. And because of that death, He was separated from God. He was separated from the Father. He was separated from the Holy Spirit. He was removed from them, And He paid the payment for our sin. But He rose from the dead. That's what today is all about. He defeated death. He paid the payment of death. He resurrected. He is alive. He raised. And because He raised, He's the firstborn. He's over all these things. He's over everything that is restored. And it says literally in the verse, in verse 18 at the end, so that He might be preeminent in everything. Jesus Christ is preeminent in everything that's been restored. He's preeminent in everything that he created, and now he is preeminent in everything that he's restored, in everything that he's reconciled and reconciling. He is over all that. He is outside of that. He rules over it. Do you guys get this? Do we, get, we understand that he, he, that's who Jesus is. That's who this king is. Over every part of creation that's been restored, he's preeminent. Look at verse 19 and 20 now. It says, For in in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. All things. All things that are restored. Every relationship that is restored, He is preeminent in. He is over. It's because of Him and through Him. And all of our relationships with Him, because of that, all of our relationships with each other, our relationship with the creation, our relationship internally with ourselves, in every way, in everything that's restored, Jesus is over that. He's the firstborn from the dead. He is preeminent in all things that have been restored, that He has redeemed. And I want us to see that. I want us to believe that. But we don't just stop there. A lot of times they say, well, Jesus redeemed me. We have this vertical relationship that's right. And we don't move on to those other relationships. We don't see that he's redeeming everything, all of creation. But there is a priority. And that's what Paul is speaking here. There's a priority where he's redeemed us. He's redeemed his church. He's made this vertical. He's repaired this vertical relationship with us. And Paul goes and he says that it's, it's for you. It's, it's in this church. That he's supreme in the church. In the church, he has the highest rank. In the church, he's the firstborn from the dead. He's supreme in the church because he started the church. And now we, as we're brought into that, we are a visible demonstration of his body. He said, I have brought you in. Now you are part of my church. I am over you. I am supreme in this. And you are visibly demonstrating me and proclaiming me to the world. That's what he's doing through us. And that's how he's over us and I want you to know that if you know Jesus Christ you're a part of the church if you know if you've been saved if you've been reconciled if you have the saving faith in Jesus Christ then you are a part of the church there's not a choice there's not a decision to be made you're a part of his church you're a part of his body and we're supposed to be a body a body of collected individuals who have one thing in common. That's what the word, this word soma means. They have this one source, this one connection, this one thing that they depend on, that they're gathered around, that they are united in. So if you know Christ, you're a part of the body. If you're a part of the body, then you're united in one thing. And that one thing is the king. That one thing is Jesus Christ. There's nothing else, nothing else, that binds us together except Jesus Christ. That's why we say we're multi-ethic, we're multi-class, we're multilingual. It's not so that we can be cool, it's because the only thing that matters, the only thing that unifies us is Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Everything else is secondary, everything else, many things are arbitrary. The only thing that matters, the only thing that brings us together, the only thing that unifies us is Jesus Christ because He's the head of the church, He's supreme over us, He's the firstborn from the dead that's it, Jesus, that's it, that's all that holds us together, and we need to believe that, we need to think that, but we tend to unite around so many other things, and it's not bad, it's not wrong to find things in common, it's not wrong to unite around other things, but we have to keep this connection, this unitedness, it's only in Jesus Christ, all these other things can change. And as I've watched this week, and I've watched this, this week of Passover and this week of, of Easter, as we get to Sunday, I've seen so many things where we gather around these traditions, okay? And I'm not, I'm not dissing on traditions, all right? I'm not dissing on the, uh, the things that we do, that some of the things, I'm not even sure why we do them, okay? Yesterday in Lanark Park at 11.30, a whole crowd of kids gathered at the stage at the park, to run around and chase and look for these colored eggs and then they chased around a park uh, rec staff worker who's dressed up in a white bunny suit nothing wrong with that but why are we doing that I mean they were connected around this the whole park showed up all these kids from the neighborhood showed up and I want to show you this is what actually happened at my house if you'll go to the next one Mark
1: in my house
0: my two daughters have on these crazy hats made of construction paper with ears that look like rabbits they 've got makeup on their face, and they have their cousin who 's participating at four months old
1: <laughs>
0: they 're united in this they 're connected by this tradition just as those kids were connected at the park You go to mcdonald 's I just drove by and saw it i don 't you know I just go there for drinks, not food right. But as you, as you go through the, the drive-thru to get coffee, you can say, filet of fish Friday. Why do they have filet of fish Friday at this time of year? And then you go to Wendy's, they have filet of fish Friday, but it's not filet fish But you go to all these restaurants, they have this Fish Friday. And it's like, so we do all this? Okay, why do we do that? And why do all these people participate in that that don't normally participate in something religious, but yet they'll have fish on Friday? But we're connected and we're united in these traditions. Why? The people show up for church on Sunday, on Easter Sunday, that don't normally go to church. Why do we do that? Because we want to feel connected. We want to be united. We want to feel that we're a part of something. And that's good. That's natural. That's the way God has created us. He created us to as soon as he connected us with him. He's like now you're connected with each other. If you are reconciled with me, now you're a part of my church. Now you're a part of this body. Now you're united in my church. I'm the head over it and you're the body. You're connected together. That's what unites us. That's what brings us together. That's what connects us. And so my question is, are you connected to the church? It doesn't have to be Livingstone, it can be another church, but are you living as a part of and fully participating in His body? What does that look like in your week beyond Sunday? What does that look like on Sundays? How do you connect with the body? How do you participate? And if you say, well, I don't, I don't need the church, I mean, I have Christ, I have this vertical relationship with Him, and I'm like, Really? That's what you're going to tell Jesus. That's what you're going to tell Jesus that created the church and put the church in order and placed you in the church, that I don't need the church. Thank you so much for reconciling me. Thank you so much for putting me in your church, but I don't need your church. Go tell that to Jesus. All right? That's what it's saying here. As soon as you're brought in with Him, now we're brought in and we're part of this church. And if you are disconnected, if you're living independently, if you're not connected with the church, if you're not connected with His body, then you are living not in reference to Jesus Christ. It's just plain and simple. If you're not part of his body, you're not living in reference to him. If you're disconnected and independent. And you might think, this is my excuse. Well, some of those people in the church, they're a little weird. They're a little strange. They get on my nerves. And were—you know some people came to mind, I'm just kidding. But, like, but, but, the, but, but, but have you seen the church? Have you seen these people that say that they follow Jesus Christ? Have you seen even the people in our own body? And like, ah, do I really have to be a part of them? I mean, those are broken and messed up people.
1: They're, mm,
0: yeah, that's true. All right, the only way that you are part of the church is if you are broken and if you're messed up. If you're not broken and messed up, you're not part of the church, okay? We have to be broken, we have to be messed up for him to restore us and bring us into his church. Look in verse 21. The church begins with him and then the church is restored through him. Look at verse 21. Paul describes these types of people that are in the church that a lot of times we don't want to be a part of because it's hard to admit that we are a part of it. Alright, look at verse 2. It says, and you, he's talking about you, the Colossians, you that have received Christ, you that are following Christ. He's talking about you, living stones, me and you. We were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. You were alienated. You were hostile in mind. You were doing evil deeds. Alienated means I'm shut out from fellowship. Literally, I can't have intimacy with Jesus Christ. There is no relationship. We were shut out. We were alienated. It says we were hostile in mind. We were completely against and all of our desires and all of our will and all of our thinking. We were in opposition to God. We were in complete opposition to Him. We were His enemies. We weren't sort of for Him. We didn't agree with Him. We were completely opposed to Him. So he says, you were alienated, and you were hostile in mind, and then it says, and you were doing evil deeds. Not only did we think that way, not only did we believe that way, but we were actually acting that way. All of us, you, me, the church in Colossae, all of Living Stones, that was who we were. We were broken, we were messed up, and it says, now he has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. He doesn't reconcile people that aren't broken or that aren't messed up.
1: He reconciles
0: people that are broken, that are messed up, that are alienated, that are hostile in mind, that are doing evil deeds. That's who He restores. That's who He reconciles. And He reconciles us, as we sung this morning, through this death on the cross. That's what He did. That's how He did it and I have shared this analogy that right he, he's rescued us he, he came behind enemy lines and he, he carried us out and he put us on his shoulder and in doing that and rescuing us he gave his own life and as I thought through that analogy as I thought through that in my mind I have this picture of this innocent helpless victim that he came and that he got and then he picked us up and then he carried us back to safety he carried us and put us in his kingdom but that's not what this says he says he came behind enemy lines and he got the enemy he got me and he got you and We were the enemy, we were opposed to him, we told him to go away we didn 't want to reference him. We basically just made little of him, but yet he picked us up and he put us on his shoulder as we kicked and as we screamed and as we cried he says i don 't care that you 're my enemy
1: i 'm going to rescue you
0: and I don 't know that I have a good example in my life of what it means to have an enemy. It sounds like such a strong word. To me. really? So I'm God's enemy? I mean, I'm not that bad. I wasn't that bad. I haven't had these individuals in my life that I would say, oh, that's my enemy. I remember one guy in middle school that wanted to beat me up. But I've tried to avoid having enemies. And so I want to read you guys. This is from a, a book so that we can get a picture of what an enemy looks like. So we can have a clear... Representation of that, so we understand that's who we are. This is a book called um, "Let Justice Roll Down." It's about a man. It's a biography of a man named John Perkins. He is a um, African American man who was born in Mendenhall, Mississippi, in the Deep South.
1: In the twenties,
0: was my grandfather's age. And at the in forty-seven, in nineteen forty-seven, after watching his brother be killed, after living on one side of the track in Mendenhall all of his life. After being oppressed, after living in the situation of white and black, he got out of Mendenhall as quickly as he could. When he had the first chance, he got married and he got out. And he moved to Pasadena. And after living in Pasadena, after experiencing this different life, this different setting, this different interaction, he came to know the Lord. And when he came to know the Lord, God impressed on his heart, you have to go back. And he went back
1: thinking that he was
0: going to save his people he was going to rescue his people he went back in 1960 with a family, with a wife he went back to where he came from back from where he escaped and he thought he was going to rescue his people but when he went he realized that he was coming not just to rescue his people but to rescue his enemies to rescue those who had oppressed him to rescue those white people that had been over him to free them from the hate, from the slavery that they had been in. And so this that he shares right here in this book, it's after um, he's been beaten, he was arrested, he was taken into the state patrol office, he was kept overnight, he was beaten several times unconscious, he was beaten to where they thought he was dead and had left him, and then found him still alive. They made him mop up his own blood, they stuffed things in his nose and his mouth, He talks about as he went to the cell and they finally left him alone, they continued to beat him, but he couldn't feel. All he could feel was the pressure of the pounds, but he couldn't feel the pain anymore. And he laid there at night and he somehow made it through the day. And this is him in the hospital. This is him in recovery. It's even a month later as he's trying to recover from this. And he says, the Spirit of God worked on me as I lay in that bed. An image formed in my mind, the image of the cross.
1: Christ on
0: the cross. It blotted out everything else in my mind. This Jesus knew what I had suffered. He understood and he cared because he had experienced it all himself. This Jesus, the one who had brought good news directly from God in heaven, had lived what he preached. Yet he was arrested and falsely accused. Like me, he went through an unjust trial. He also faced a lynch mob and got beaten. But even more than that, he was nailed to a rough wooden planks and killed. Killed like a common criminal. At the crucial moment, it seems to Jesus that even God himself had deserted him. The suffering was so great, he cried out in agony. He was dying. But when he looked at the mob that had lynched him, he didn't hate them. He loved them. He forgave them. And he prayed God to forgive them. Father, forgive these people for they don't know what they are doing. His enemies hated, but Jesus forgave. I couldn't get away from that. We're a part of that crowd. We're a part of that lynch mob. We're a part of the crowd that was there. If we were there, we would have done no differently. We're His enemies. We were opposed to Him. We would have acted the same way and don't think that you would have acted any differently. And yet, He rescued us. He reconciled us. He came for us as His enemies and transferred us from this kingdom of darkness into this kingdom of light. He crossed over that line even when we were hating Him and He put us on His shoulder and He brought us over. And if that's not who you are, then you're not in the church.
1: Because that's who Paul
0: says is the church. And he did all that in order to present us before him. It says in order to present, and at the end it says before him. It literally means to be, that we could be in his presence, that he could stand beside us, that we would be connected to him, and that he could witness on our behalf. So we as his enemies, he took out of this kingdom of darkness and put in this kingdom of light, and now he stands beside us, he's connected to us, and he witnesses for us. Think about that for a minute. He did that and now he presents us and he stands before us. He's connected to us and he witnesses for us. His enemy that opposed him, that was alienated from him, that did these evil deeds. That's what he's done for us and he presents us in that way. I'm like, what kind of king would do this? What kind of king? would respond that way to his enemies. That's King Jesus. That's the Jesus that we serve. That's the Jesus that we submit to. That's the Jesus that we hail. He's the King of the church. And he has made us, look it says, he's made us holy. He's made us blameless. He's made us above reproach. Literally, it means holy. He's made us a saint. He's given us fellowship. He's let us be a part of his body. He's given us this intimacy with him. And he says, I even give you my spirit now to abide in you. You are my enemy, but I reconciled you, and now I'm placing my spirit in you. That's what he's done for us. And he says, you're blameless. You're without fault. You don't have issues because I'm standing here beside you. You're connected to me, and I am witnessing on your behalf. That's what I've done. And we're above reproach. You are not guilty. There is nothing that you have done that anyone can hold against you because I am standing here with you because I did this for you. He did that for us. We didn't participate. We didn't do anything. We didn't contribute. He did that for us. If you look at Romans five eighteen through
1: 19 this is therefore
0: as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification for all and life for all men. Verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. We're made righteous by that act. We're made righteous by what Jesus did on the cross. We're made righteous by the blood that he shed on the cross. By that and by nothing else. By nothing that we've done. By nothing that we've contributed, but by his blood. That's what makes us righteous. And that's what's transforming us. That's what's reconciling us. That's what's reconciling all things. And so do you guys believe that? Do you believe that God, through the work that He did on the cross, that He can transform us? And I don't mean that you believe that He can save you, and that's good, thank you so much for saving me, Jesus, but that He can transform your entire life, that He can work through His body, and that He can build up His body, and that He can make us holy, and that He can make us blameless, and He can make us beyond reproach. In every area, in every situation that we could reference him, that he could serve as king over us, that he would be the head of us. He wants every part, every piece. Or do you guys think, well, I'll get there. Through my will, through my power, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to spend all this time, I'm going to put forth all this effort to make my own transformation. I'm going to earn back what Jesus did for me. And I just want to encourage you guys to give that up. I want you to encourage you to live in Jesus, that He is King, and He will do this through you. I thought about Saving Private Ryan. And I've shared this before in a different way, but when they are through with this mission, they've gone in to get this son. He's one of four sons that this woman had in World War II. And they find out that three of the four sons have been killed. And so the, the army, they send in this, 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 this squad of soldiers to go after this one Private Ryan, this last son. And in going to get him, most of them die. They give up everything. They sacrifice all that they had. And at the end, the very end, when he's about to be saved, when they're about to be rescued, and Tom Hanks, who is the captain, he's sitting there, and Tom Hanks has shot, and he's protected him, and he's provided cover for him. And he looks at Private Ryan, and he says... Earn this. All these men have died for you. All these men have sacrificed for you. Go and earn this. Jesus doesn't say, earn this. We can't earn it. That's not how we should think. That's not how we should respond. We don't try to earn it back. But we do have responsibility and it says we continue in Him. We have to continue and continue and continue. We will not earn it, but we continue. So just as He began the church in Him, He also restores it through Him. And then lastly, the church continues in Him. If you look at verse 23, it says, If indeed you continue in the faith. And I looked at that. I studied it. I looked up that word, if. I looked it up in another reference. Really? If? That's what it means, if? If?
1: Yeah, it means if.
0: All these things, if we continue. Not if we earn it, not if we try hard, not if we deserve it or if we achieve some level, but if we continue. Jesus says, I've done all this, now continue in it. Just continue in it. Just walk with me. Just be in my church. Just be a part of me. Just be a part of my body. If you continue, if you continue, To preserve in me and preserve in this church that I've placed you in. And look that it says, continue in the faith. And I've told you guys again and again, faith is not just that we believe something, not just that we acknowledge it, but that I believe it so much that I actually respond to it and I live according to it, that I believe and regardless of how I feel, regardless of what the situation looks like, regardless of the immediate outcome, I continue to respond because I believe the Word of God, I believe what He's done, and I continue on in faith. I continue, I continue, I continue. That's what faith is, is to continue acting. Not just continue believing, but acting on your beliefs, that I would continue in the Gospel. And that's what He's saying, if we continue if we continue stable and steadfast, that we wouldn't turn from the gospel, that we wouldn't add to the gospel, that we would stay literally rooted in the gospel because Jesus Christ is all we need. He is sufficient. He is everything. He's the head of this church. He is supreme. He's the one that restores it. He's the one that started it. He's the one that's going to continue it. We would just remain in Him and that's it. Continue in Him. Continue in His gospel. We had a family bike ride on Friday. And bike rides with my family are one of the most difficult outings of my life. <laughs> because we live in the apartment here in Lanark, and all of our bikes are piled on our balcon. And they're, they're tangled together, and the, the, the pedals get stuck, and the wheels are stuck. And I have to go and I have to take this tarp, and I get dirty with the tarp, and I have to get the bikes out. And it's been so long since we've ridden bikes, I have to pump up all the tires. And this is five bikes, right? And a carry-behind for Annalise, okay? It's a lot of bikes. And then I have to bring those to the den. And then from the den, I have to take them down to the courtyard. And then while we're doing that, all of the kids have to get ready, okay? <laughs> this is when I realize I need grace.
1: <laughs> but we got on
0: our bikes, and we were adventurous.
1: Like, I mean,
0: we did all this work. I mean, we're not just going to go for a ride around Lanark Park. Like, let's go to Balboa Park, all right? So me and my four kids and my wife, we get the bikes ready and we drive or we ride to Balboa Park. It took us like two and a half hours to get to Balboa Park.
1: And, and it's not
0: a circle, right? It's, it's one direction there and then one direction back. But we stop and we eat and then we go to the park and we're laying there on a blanket and we're like, oh, okay, we finally made it. And you know what nobody wants to do is have to ride back now. And we're just gonna enjoy the park. We're gonna lay there. And I was like, oh, this is amazing kids. Like just stop and, and feel the breeze and the sunshine and there are the playground and the lake is there and you can feel the breeze coming off of it. And all of a sudden Nidia goes, hey! and then what is it? She says, it's 3.30.
1: I was like, okay, was like, we're supposed to be
0: back at four. Uh, Rebecca's going to watch our kids. We we're going to go out tonight. We're going to have dinner tonight. And we started to think through all these ways that we could adjust that plan. We had made it all the way out to Balboa Park, but we didn't want to continue, right? Well, can we get Rebecca to come? She can get the van. She can bring the van. We can load up. Well, I can ride the bikes back, but we'll put the kids in the van and their bikes in the van. And like, how is this going to happen? And I sat up, and I was like, no, 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 no. We are the fullers. We're going to continue, right? We're going to do this. And he's like, it's going to be so late. I'm like, no, we'll get back by five. Okay, it'll take us an hour. It took us two and a half hours to get here. How are we going to do that? I'm like, we are going to do it. We're going to endure. We are going to continue. And I want to show you what it looked like before we started. <laughs> this is at the park. I had to wake them out of their stupor. I am like, come on, let's go. Let's continue. Let's not stop. Let's get back on our bikes and let's continue to ride but isn't that sometimes what we do we say oh my gosh look at what we've gotten into look at what I've gotten myself into following Jesus this is a mess look at this church that now I'm a part of these people are broken and messed up and irritate me do I really want to continue do I really want to go on do I really want to continue to pedal? do I really want to continue following him and that's what Paul says is yes continue Jesus is saying continue in me you started in me, I've restored, you've been restored in me, and now you need to continue in me. So continue, continue, continue. We have to continue. We continue to be gospel oriented, we continue to be gospel powered, we continue to reference this King, and we continue in His body, we continue in all those things. Everything that we are is because of Jesus. It's
1: because of Jesus.
0: Everything that we will be is because of Jesus. That's it, guys. He's supreme. He's sufficient. There's nothing else that we need. There's nothing else that we should hold to but Jesus Christ. He came. He walked amongst us. He went to the cross. He died. He was resurrected. And now He sits at the right hand of the Father. And He intercedes on our behalf. He says, You are my church. You are my body. I've created you. I'll restore you. Continue in me. So as we pray, I'm going to close this in prayer and we're going to take communion. And as we take communion, I want us to think about how it is that we continue in Christ together as a church. How we continue together in nothing else but Jesus Christ. But that's what we have this communion. That's what's in common. That's what we take. It's this blood and the body of Christ that was broken for us. Through that, we've been reconciled with Him. Through that, we've been placed in His church, and He's the King. Let's honor Him. Let's exalt Him. Let's serve Him.